0: Welcome to the Zion Art Podcast, formerly known as Mormon Visual Culture, presented by the Zion Art Society and hosted by me, Micah Christensen. In this podcast, we interview scholars, critics, collectors, and all people involved in the visual arts of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This week, we are very happy to have visiting us from the other side of the Atlantic, Dr. Lisa DeLong, who is the head of International Programs for the Prince's School of Traditional Arts in London. Uh, She's an artist herself, in addition to being an instructor and administrator in the arts, who mentors a lot of other artists. Uh, We'll find out about both her work and the efforts that she's involved in. And with that, welcome Lisa DeLong.
1: Thank you so much for having me here.
0: So um, you're fairly fresh off the boat, Right? It's only been about 36 hours since you arrived. It's just about. <laughs> I appreciate you making the effort to be here at the beginning of your trip. And uh, and uh, I, I, I'm thrilled. This is the second time we've actually met. I met you when you gave me a tour of the Prince's School. Um, how long ago was that? It was in the spring?
1: I think that was in May. It was in May. Yes.
0: Um, I'd lived in London for a while, and you've been there since 2001, right? yes. I don't know how. I was there from 2007 to 2010 doing my masters and starting my PhD. We had to have known so many of the same people. I don't know how we missed each other.
1: I, I don't know.
0: <laughs> it's a big city, but it's not a big city for members of the church, right? For Definitely members not. Members of the church, everyone knows one another. Who knows? We'll figure out one of these days how we how we missed one another. But we can just but but I I think where I want to start is is I want to ask how you Came to be at the Princess School, and maybe the first thing I should I should start with is you telling us what the Princess School for Traditional Arts is.
1: Okay, um, it is a how do you how to describe it. It does so many different things. It's based around a two year master's program uh, where we have a, a very small cohort of students that come in from all over the world to study what we term the traditional arts. Um, And so that includes things like um, very introductory ceramics, woodworking, stained glass, uh, painting, and specifically um, Indian and Persian miniature painting, icon painting, the um, methods and materials of painting, starting from stones and earths and plants and that sort. Um, And also we have a very strong component of geometric design. Um, and so that is sort of the core of our teaching um, in this two-year master's program. We also have um, Ph.D. students that come through on a regular basis. Um, and then my responsibility with the school is to take those core things and reinterpret them for other contexts. So our international programs, sometimes it is uh, domestic programs, like schools, uh, things for, for children and uh, primary school teachers in England and, and different things. But throughout all of this, what we're doing is looking at um, arts um, in a very handcrafted context. You're looking at the primary foundation skills of art and um, al- just nurturing those and allowing the expression and individual um, variations to develop
0: when I was there and and you walked me around, it's it there were a few masters students, one I remember meeting who was from Pakistan, I believe, mm-hmm. and she was working on miniatures, mm-hmm. which is a very traditional i mean i I've personally have handled and dealt with um eighteenth century Pakistani miniatures, which are amazingly intricate and have their own long tradition of the materials, methods and techniques that are used in creating them. And then a few steps away, there was a, a uh, icon painter who was working in a Russian tradition. And then a few steps, f- then we, you took me downstairs and there were people act working at an active kiln who were putting together a series of tiles that were based on Pakistani, I believe designs as well. It could have been some other designs. And you told me, or at least you told me that there was a sister tile, fabricator who was working in Pakistan that had a relationship, even though it was multi-traditional, it had a relationship with the school. And I guess what I'm getting to with this is, not only it's mind-boggling the diversity and the high level of skills, but I guess some people would wonder, um, who hadn't seen it in person or who saw that happening, what is the need for having a school in London if there's something in Pakistan or in 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 or in or uh in india or in russia is it because the trail's gone dead for passing down those skills um in in those places and the school is an attempt to revive them or maintain them what or is it a is it a variety of of reasons um what is the school's role i guess in those traditional communities
1: um So when we go to a place, it's usually because we have um, a partnership with um, someone who's local to that place who has recognized a need, like a tradition uh, drying up or a chain of transmission that is um, almost uh, finished. And there's this recognition that something is going to be lost. Mm. Now, we do not have all of the expertise needed to do everything all over the, the world you know, to, uh, to be able to master all of these different techniques and everything. But what we do have is a, a philosophical approach and a methodology that allows us to go into a place and engage locals in a process of reconnecting with their heritage mm. and with um, the memories that... Um, their their parents or grandparents might have had, hmm. so when we talk about tradition, we're not necessarily talking about copying the past, um, or even mimicking it, but more sort of tapping into a way of thinking, um, a way that is connected not only to the stories and culture, but also the nature and the materials of the place, hmm. and. So that's something that we can do in many different places around the world, whether it be Pakistan or China or Azerbaijan or Saudi Arabia, wherever we happen to be working. Um, and our role in these places is to draw out of the students um, that connection to things that are universal, that that all humanity is connected with. You know, a, a sense of uh, symbolism particular to a place or yeah. a um, a love for materials or just um, different things like that
0: so but someone who you 've led workshops and your specialty is and correct me if i 'm wrong is geometry and islamic islamic geom- geometry in particular and you 've I imagine that that has so many expressions from tile work to painting to rug work to all kinds of 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 architectural implications let's say that and you've taught workshops all over the world you are not um where are you from originally
1: um i was born in provo okay um, and then grew up in anoka minnesota and fullerton california okay um lived in norway for a year and then utah and then I've lived in London longer than anywhere else. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So when you show
0: up, up, I want to get back to your backstory. But specifically when you show up to a place like... Where is it a place where you've done a workshop recently? Um,
1: Recently um, in Karachi, Pakistan. Do you
0: stand out a little bit? Oh, yeah. And and (laughs) how... I imagine you getting up and people... You have the credibility of the Prince's School of Traditional Arts behind you. You're clearly an expert. You've been doing this for a very long time. But I imagine there is a moment in that room and in that interaction where you are not Pakistani. Yeah. <laughs> and how how does that um how does that cultural exchange happen? I remember in London mm-hmm. you had told me something about how how uh, it's you're able to bridge that gap fairly quickly. Yeah,
1: well, I'll, I'll tell you the story of my, my first workshop that I ever taught, which was in Saudi Arabia, and I was, um, as you can imagine, very intimidated, because here I am, this American Christian, going to Saudi Arabia to teach how to do a certain aspect of Islamic art correctly, and that was... <laughs> overwhelming humbling um and um uh, i i i was i was very very nervous about it as you can imagine um and what became very clear to me um as the workshop proceeded was that when it was coming from a place of both love and knowledge about a particular tradition then you can create a space for conversation and sharing to occur so I have to, I have to be very careful in these situations to be quite clear about what I don't know as well as what I do know. And those kind of those boundaries of my um my knowledge and experience are exactly what I am hoping the participants will contribute and mm. um share. I mean the the best workshops come away with me knowing or having learned far more than perhaps the participants hmm. did, because you know, that means that some real genuine um, education has taken place on both parts. But um, I, at the end of that very first experience in uh, Saudi Arabia, um, I remember one of the students who was the most suspicious about me, um, and very she was very conservative. She came up to me afterwards, and she said, said essentially that she had been quite worried about me.
0: What do you think she was worried about?
1: Um, I, th- I think it's very difficult to trust your tradition in the hands of someone who's obviously an outsider to it. You yeah. know, um, it history is full of examples of where that has gone very poorly. Yeah. Um, and um, she came up to me and she, she thanked me for the, the workshop. And, um, and, and she said something that uh, really struck me at the time. She said, to me, you are Muslim. Um, and that, um, that was a signal to me in, in that context that I had communicated something that touched her on a very deep spiritual level where she recognized it. Mm. Um, and I think that's where real tradition and education takes place is where's th- where there's this recognition of um, something true and useful that is being handed over from one person to another and shared
0: mm. I it's a question that I've I've had that I don't I I don't know if we've we talked about before when I was in London, but it's something that I've thought about for myself. I wonder if you've thought about it is um, when I was doing my master's and Ph.D. research, which is in Spain, I spent a lot of time on Catholicism and I was exposed to Catholicism in a way that I hadn't been growing up in the United States. And I was it, it's it, there was a powerful expression of depth and of understanding that was exciting and exotic about Catholicism that was that, that made it easy to be attracted to because it was the other, right? And, and Mormonism in some ways, because I'd grown up with it, was very boring. And it's a young religion by comparison. and It doesn't have as strong of a visual culture because it's just not as old as Catholicism is, right? Yeah. And it hasn't had any, that many iterative layers on layer on layer. You can probably see what I'm getting at. Here you're dealing with a, a, a culture that is over a thousand years old just as a religion but also has roots in a much older tradition than just the, the 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 founding of the religion and it's exciting and it's got its own language and you're mastering it and you're teaching it how did that affect your your mormon visual side or your mormon side of how you perceived mormon culture as somebody who's studying Islamic work. And it's a huge question, huge question, right? I don't know how you're going to answer it. I don't know how I would answer it if it was to me. Maybe it comes across in your art, but I'm sure it has its own personal echoes.
1: Well, initially, um, I would say that um, my my gut response to it was faith crisis, you know, like, um, because I was seeing... the arts have always been my, my spiritual language, you know, it's just it's visually how you ex- express symbols and belief and faith and you know, devotion and the whole process of it has just been so intertwined with my, my own faith. And suddenly I'm exposed to um, centuries of cultures that have been affected by a different faith and the art is just so beautiful, you know. The buildings, you, know, um, you know, these places of worship that um, obviously so much devotion has gone into, you know. And I'm like, ah, cinder blocks and <laughs> <laughs> you know, very durable carpet, you know, like it. it, it just the the contrast in beauty I, really could have sent me back on my my heels for a while. Um, and it wasn't really something that I ever found anyone to talk to about. Right. You know, it's not exactly the kind of uh, resolve your concerns question that the sister missionaries well, have to it's deal never with. To-
0: yes. It's never really a topic in a three hour block. No. It's not something it's a- that you can have a conversation with on a regular basis. I guess that's yeah. what we're trying to do here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's let's back up a little bit before okay. we get to that. Yeah. It's how did you how did you get into the arts?
1: Um, I just always was into drawing. I mean,
0: did you grow up in a family that was artistic?
1: Um, so distantly so. Both my parents are mathematicians, which in retrospect may explain some of the the geometric work that I mm. do. Uh, but I did swear I would never go into math. So. <laughs> um, but I, I was always someone who drew. Um, whenever I would have uh, school assignments, I would... Uh, Maneuvered the teachers into thinking an art project would be a better way to complete the assignment (laughs) Um, And uh, uh, Yeah, so I just always, always did art What Um, did you
0: think was going to happen with that when you went to college? Where did you go for your undergrad? uh, BYU What did you major in or what did you start majoring in? Uh,
1: Chemistry, I intended to be a Dr. Quinn medicine woman Really? (laughs) Yeah So so it was pre-med chemistry yeah. Yeah
0: You know what though that that that's sh- that's that's heavy hitting if you're already thinking as analytically and as as to be comfortable with chemistry not mm-hmm. even a lot of pre med majors are comfortable with chemistry Well, I
1: regretted it pretty fast.
0: Did so. you? <laughs> what happened?
1: Um well I, d- I did feel the loss of of art in my schedule. And so I kept looking for ways to include it. And I thought, well, I'll do an art minor. That will make me a more well-rounded applicant. You know?
0: So and in that th- time, did they have the distinction between the studio program and the illustration program?
1: I don't remember. I didn't have anything to do with the illustration program at the time. It okay. Was, so
0: you started taking art classes. What were
1: yeah. they? Um, just your standard, um, introductory, <laughs> The drawing classes and things. Did like you that. jump into
0: a full major eventually?
1: Um, eventually, yeah. And I, I, at first, I justified it with saying, "Well, this will make me a really exotic candidate, a candidate for med school." <laughs> yeah, and then uh, there just came a point where I, I had to choose, and um, it was, yeah. Once once I chose, that was. I don't know. It just became obvious in retrospect.
0: I... It became obvious that this is what was going to happen or exact. Cause I can't imagine. And this is, I think for a lot of artists, a question is how, okay, this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm passionate mm-hmm. about. How do I make it practical? Uh-huh. So at that time when you switched, because medicine is a very practical idea, right? Yes. Even though it's a huge commitment, in some ways it's not practical because it's seven to nine years of your life mm-hmm that are committed to this thing um and we think of it as being a lot more practical <laughs> so it is a very yeah. onerous responsibility to take yeah. on when did you say i'm okay with this as art as being my thing
1: um there was a very particular moment um where i i was having a lot of spiritual angst over trying to decide which path and um I received a letter, um, from, uh, a friend of my grandmother's, um, my, my grandmother had passed away, um, when I was in junior high school and this letter just out of the blue, which I hadn't seen this lady since I was maybe seven years old, um, just talked about what a blessing art had been in her life and the lives of her children. And somehow that was all I needed to hear, you know, mm. just. It was this sort of uh, little really miraculous moment that coincided with a a few external pressures. And Hmm. as soon as that happened, that was it.
0: Was there anything, any one in particular uh, at BYU who was an influence on you?
1: um, uh, Wolf Barsh made a really big difference to me um, and also Um, Hagen-Haltern. And... um, I I think in both of their cases they um, were they they were thinking very they were analytically about art symbolically um, and it was uh, inextricable from faith in and how they approached it in a way that the the language of art that they were using was a language that I understood somehow. Um,
0: yeah. We've discussed um, with Rita Wright of uh, Wolf Barsch, a little mm-hmm. bit in past uh, episodes of the of the podcast, and there's no one who's done work quite like him. He came to the program arguably as one of the first um, postgraduate uh, professors that the school had had. That wasn't just a practitioner, but it also had, had a really high level of education. He'd been he'd won the American Prix to Rome and studied there. And his work includes a lot of geometry, some... Some realism, but but uh, it's it's very. Um, he came really formed to the mm. to the program and brought something that nobody else had. Hagen Halter, I'm not as familiar with uh, with with uh, his his work. Yeah. What did, what is his work?
1: Um, uh, it also has a very visionary quality to it. Um, one of the things that I remember about his classes is he had. Um, he had all these volumes of, of books where he was trying to understand qualities of texture or um, line. Um, hmm. I guess it was sort of the precursor to Pinterest, you know, like in hard yeah. form, where he'd just gone through National Geographics, um, gathering lots of different ways to express light or pattern or... Um, and things and um
0: it's almost like he was a visual scientist trying to capture different phenomenon in a way that y- yeah categorize it
1: yes but it, uh, it was within all of the, of this very analytical approach there was um a uh i don't know quite how to express it um i guess the just this vision visionary approach you know he it was it came from a very deep spiritual place and what he was trying to do and trying to pass on to students. Um, and I, I think I just had always been hungry for a language that linked faith with kind of this practical um, engagement with physical material mm. and creation and creativity.
0: We're going to talk about some of the recent work that you've made. But before mm. we do, what were you making then?
1: Um a mess
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard to look at your past work isn't it on something yeah. what no matter what creative endeavor you're on to go yeah. back and look at it but yeah. but I, I i think it is important to know the kind of journey you took right so if you were yeah. to look at that as as a uh, as 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 maybe the first point that we start with of what yeah. kinds of things you were creating as you were struggling with combining visual efforts with your faith and yeah
1: i was i was doing some still life and landscape type of things in
0: traditional materials
1: um just watercolors um oils um and um it took me a long time to sort of find my voice because i came to the art path late you know when i got to the even though it was part of my life all the way going through, I wasn't really interested in the art world. I didn't know who all the artists were. I didn't know about art movements, and I just always felt behind in the classes. Um, and um, I, I felt like everyone knew something that I
0: was just who oblivious Who were some of the to. schools that you were attracted to initially, or artists whose work you were looking at as you're doing still lifes and um, watercolors and oils?
1: Uh, I loved Caspar David Friedrich, um, Mark Rothko. You know, just kind of that's this,
0: right. There is a huge span, but it's you just got a romanticist and a, yeah. and a modernist. Or, but it's
1: this um, this wild and yet ordered color, and this richness, and there, there's a, a very deep geometry to them that was something that always attracted me. So, so
0: even then, on, on on maybe a superficial aesthetic level and maybe it's not superficial. You were an omnivore. You weren't necessarily making distinctions between realism is, is better than this. You were, you were even then you were interested in, in composition. Yeah, geometry. always. Yeah. Cause it was, yeah. that's something that I've, I've heard and you've probably heard it even repeated yourself that all art is abstract on, on some level. Cause you have to mm. understand value, shape, color, Composition, all of those things. Whether you're Rothko or Jackson Pollock or Ang, you yeah. still got to figure all that out.
1: Yeah, yeah. And at that time, I was getting so bored and frustrated by all the conversations that everyone would have about what is art anyway, you know.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I just wanted to make stuff, you know. And um, I, I did i sort of I understood intellectually this hierarchy between like craft and different kinds of art and stuff like that but i I, I thought it was really uh a distraction somehow so at the
0: time of your graduation were you starting to submit works to shows were you going to galleries? what were you doing with your art
1: um, not not much um i um
0: were you still thinking maybe med school?
1: No, I just, I, I had no money. And so, like, I couldn't <laughs> afford to frame pieces. And,
0: <laughs> like, I'm sure a lot so, of people can relate to that.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah, I again, I, I also felt like the whole system, the gallery system and shows, and it was something that was just so opaque to me. And, uh, like, everyone else seemed to figure out a way in. And I just, I was like, oh, how'd you hear about that? Was, so, <laughs> you, just,
0: you get this letter yeah. from your grandmother's friend, yeah. it clicks arts the thing to do. When was the next click of like aha, that's what I've got to do next?
1: Um it was um doing my masters in art history. Um I uh, I had wanted to continue with art and it didn't w- work uh for a variety of reasons. So I ended up signing up for the um an MA at BYU as well. Um and working my way through that, um I was spent a lot of time looking at Albrecht Durer and his manual for painters—it was all about the geometry and the technical. Uh, oh yeah, stuff. he's got
0: machines laid out that he's created for perspective and yeah. for, for for graphing a piece. Yeah. and he's it's a, he's brilliant.
1: Yeah, it was really interesting stuff for me. And also, it's always in this religious context. You know, that everything he, he's talking about is, you know he is intending to pattern his own work after the work of god you know it's all it's the a way...
0: very platonic view of art as going towards yeah. the ideal which is god's language and trying to yeah. find out so, perfect
1: yeah so that that next step i was was quite important but then the 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 next big click um was um i had stopped by Wolf's office for one reason or another to, to chat to him about something. And he threw a catalog across his desk and said, you'll probably be interested in that. And it was a catalog for, um, uh, the Prince's school of traditional arts. So it had a different name at the time. Hmm. And, um, I picked it up, started reading about the program and, uh, it was obvious that I had to go. What <laughs> was
0: the obvious part of it? What, what struck you so forcefully?
1: Um, I guess all of the things that I've been talking about, that the um, art and creation and craft in the context of faith, um, there was a really strong geometry component, there was making your own paints from scratch, there was this kind of back to fundamentals with art that was kind of hinted at in the the art program at BYU, but not in a way that I felt like I could ever get very far with it. So I was like, finally, someone's going to teach me how to do these things that I've been hungry for. So
0: you know, it's it's interesting as you mentioned that I remember about the same time I watched a documentary where Prince Charles was talking about the royal collections, mm. and he talked about hand copying architectural studies he was somebody who he had made waves um because the windsors in general in in uh, in british culture even going back to queen victoria have kind of this perception of being not super deep when it comes to the arts or or, or understanding even though they've got great collections and it was pretty clear to a lot of people that prince charles was a real intellectual and a real understander of these things. And he was friends with people like Roger Scruton, the philosopher. And he was making some really bold statements about the importance of traditional arts in culture. And and I had known this even before I would moved to the, to the UK. Um, and I know that there are people here in our culture who are interested in traditionalism who often quote Prince Charles in some of the things. Things like, we make our buildings... And then they, we shape our buildings and then they shape us. Yes. As a phrase. Um, I, I, what stage was the school in at that point? How long it had been around?
1: Let's see. It's, it's, it's about 30 ish years old now. Um, Really? I
0: had no idea it was, it had been around that long.
1: It's, it's been through a few different, um, phases of being, uh, started at, um, the RCA, um. And uh, was just a small group of people kind of studying um, some of these things together, the geometry, and um, had projects that they were working on together. And it eventually um, got formed into what was called the Visual Islamic and Traditional Arts Program, uh, VITA for short. Um, and I know that was chosen quite deliberately for its connection to life. Yeah. Um, um, and um, it was... Um, uh, trying to l- look at the the fundamental principles that are common across cultures and and, and religions um, that show up in the arts. So, so this
0: time was your master's focused on this kind of work? What was it? What was it focused on?
1: Um, so my master's at BYU. Yeah. Um It was uh, Albert Durer. And so it was on Albert yeah. Durer. Yeah.
0: And when you read this and you gave McCall, I imagine, was it? Uh, was it the kind of thing where you called them up and if they liked you and you liked them, you would take the jump and
1: um well I, How I did didn't that happen. It took me about two years to get myself in a position where I could go. Um and um I just sent in an application. I hadn't even spoken to anybody. I just read the the pamphlet. It's
0: <laughs> <You know? laughs> pretty bold. That's a lot of that's an it's, act of faith right there.
1: Yeah, it's well, it was obvious, you know. Like, if yeah. all life decisions were this obvious, then we'd be in very different places <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, the last obvious thing in my life was that decision.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? that's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was.
1: Um, it, it was. It was something that I immediately recognized as a place where I had different strands in my life that this tied together. So,
0: what were the strands?
1: Um, it was. It was the arts. It was the interest in. Uh, traveling and learning from other cultures it was the geometry it was the interest in uh, craft um, you, it's, there, there had there was this distinction between craft and fine art that kept showing up in my arts education to that point and I really didn't understand why they had to be separate hmm. and so this was a context where they didn't appear to be separate at all and that was really attractive to me
0: it's interesting when you talk with people who go to BYU who are, who feel strongly this distinction between the studio and illustration. A lot of people feel that the studio is more philosophy than it is craft. Mm-hmm. And, and vice versa, people who are in the studio program feel like the illustration mm-hmm. people are not very thinking too much philosophically about what they're doing, mm-hmm. but they're kind of slavish to craft instead. So how did... How did you close those gaps? Um, I, I guess just taking
1: the leap and making the move to London and just...
0: Yeah. Why, why was craft so important to you, I guess is another way of saying it. Um, was there an era that you looked at? Were you thinking about medieval stone cutters? Were you thinking of William Morris and arts and crafts and no, John it, Ruskin? It,
1: it was mostly how it felt to me to make something you know I, if in making something uh well, i felt like that changed me um and it it kind of put me into a devotional space that um i that it just seems so inextricably connect- connected to um material and creation I, it's there's this
0: there's this really um I know I'm going to misquote it, okay. but it's called the Prayer of the Icon Maker, and sorry, my phone is—that's my fault. Um, it's the Prayer of the Icon Maker, and it was—it was—it uh, was written supposedly during the Middle Ages, and then attributed then to somebody in Byzantium. Right. So who knows? Somewhere between 300 and 1500, this prayer of the Icon Maker was made. But it was all about spirituality through the action of making something. That it was sanctification through process mm, yeah. on some level. And, and I don't know. I think that, that's something that, that I think uh, um, William Morris and a lot of people as the industrial age was starting to show a separation between things made by men and things made by machines or with the help of machines that William Morris was reacting to and John Ruskin was reacting to in arts and crafts movement. But I'm always interested when people are still interested in that because we live in a time of computers. We live in a time where a lot, one of the debates that I hear often among figurative artists today is, should we use photos or should we not? And, and uh, the thing that gets lost in that discussion is because they, they the conversation almost immediately goes to, well, if you can't tell the difference between the end product, then what does it matter? And it seems to me that your focus is different, which is the craft itself is satisfying.
1: Yes, I think that, I think that's part of it. Because the, my, the pr- first question that popped into my head with your analogy is that, well, why aren't we making our own paint anymore? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, the, it, it, because that process completely changes your relationship to... The, the paint that you're applying to the, the paper, the canvas. You know, you feel burnt sienna differently if you're the one who took the raw sienna and burnt it and then mixed it with um, the egg or the, the oil or the gum arabic. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a very different connection and um, one that I find deeply satisfying. And it's really fun to teach people how to do this and they find it satisfying. You know, there's mm. this kind of awe and wonder at the fact that you can go out into nature and find these raw materials and make something beautiful out of them. It's, hmm. it, it changes your relationship to making in a really profound way.
0: So let's talk about a work that you've, you've been working on. Well, okay. let's talk on about a work that was in the church's show. Um, uh, the church has a... Every four years... It's three? Is it every three years, their international show? <laughs> I should I should know this better because we've interviewed the current curator and here. head of the exhibition, Lara Alredo Tato, and it's three years. Eric, who's here making sure that I'm on the right path. You had a work called Parable of the Seed, mm. which we'll reproduce on the website, zineartsociety.org, um, under the podcast tab. And um, it is called, again, Parable of the Seed. And it uh, I'll let you describe it. to us and then talk us through from soup to nuts how you made it
1: okay Um, so it's it's um, a geometric figures are floating against a a very organic wild dark background um and at the very base of the composition there's a a much smaller uh, geometric figure um so what's um what i one thing that I do when I travel, as I do quite a lot for the Prince's School, is I gather materials, uh, find interesting papers and pigments and um, uh, just collect them. And at some point, I will have an idea for what to do with them. So i so
0: that's interesting. It'll often be influenced by the materials themselves. Oh,
1: definitely. Yeah.
0: So rather than bending and saying, I've got this idea, I'm going to go bend whatever materials I can find to the idea. It's I'm bending my, I, I've got the materials, and I'm going to... Come it's, up with
1: it. Yeah, it, it's like the idea. It's it's more of a, I guess a, a, a conversation or like the idea reveals itself, right? Interesting. So, um, I had this fantastic piece of marbled paper that I picked up somewhere. I've, I've unfortunately forgotten where because I'd really like another piece of this particular paper. Um, And it's um, uh, gold and some grays and some deep, rich reds and browns swirling against a black background. And um, it felt very kind of cosmic, um, galaxy-like to me.
0: Yeah, it almost reminds me of the kinds of... Papers that you see, star charts put on that have figures yeah, yeah. in them, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: so it had the, it had this total wild organic uh, quality to it, um, and so it just seemed like a really interesting ground to put something very ordered and geometric on. So um, the theme for that uh, year's competition was: tell me the stories of Jesus. And my, my work doesn't lend itself to such a narrative theme. Um, so I thought, well, what am I going to do for this one? And I, I started thinking about what the stories of Jesus were and parables. And um, then this kind of idea presented itself. And so what I ended up doing is um, putting together a composition where I've got a, a large um, kind of macro composition as a six pointed star. On it, and the the way that it uh, begins um, is actually provided by the little key at the bottom, which is the seed. Which is um, uh, that that little seed there has all of the information in it that can unfold into the soil. the larger thing. So I had been thinking uh, about the scriptural texts that talk about how the seeds contain um all these generations within them um you know the, the, the stories of the creation uh, in the temple is just all all of these different layers that could go back to just very very simple principles um and so the, this is sort of a, a dialogue between the chaos of the paper and the cosmos of the geometry
0: now, if I was somebody from an Islamic art background, traditional art background, and I were to look at this, would I find anything familiar in it?
1: Um, the pattern itself um, is is one that can be found in Islamic contexts, um, and I, I think that would be recognized, but I'm interpreting it in a way that um, my Muslim friends have found surprising and how I'm bringing out different shapes, the context that I'm putting it into. Um, so... Um I'm, I'm not it doesn't make any sense for me to just mimic um right them. i it's i it's yeah. interesting
0: you've showed it to your Muslim friends, yeah, and you are you know, you're you're not in one of the you know, if you were in Provo, Utah, and you were making LDS art, you'd have probably a lot of conversations with other LDS artists. But you're in a place where you're having conversations with artists of all kinds of backgrounds. Yeah, is it important to you that that and, and that that they influence the way that, or that, that it makes some that they can get something out of it too that are the that that are your Muslim or. Byzantine, not Byzantine, or people are doing icon painting around you?
1: Well, I mean, one of the the cool things about this school is is that we have all these faiths together, and we all have to take all of the classes. So um, it doesn't matter who you are. You're there learning the geometry, or you are following along and learning the techniques of an icon painting course. And so you're having conversations about... What these approaches have in common, what they have differently, what's essentially uh, part of one tradition and not another. you know so we're having these conversations all the time, and I think the work is better for it.
0: It strikes there's a question. I don't know quite how to phrase it. I'll just go stream of consciousness, which is when I went to the school and I and I toured around a little bit, it seemed like people who were from the culture that they were that they were training to do work in. And that they were plugging right into a long line of imagery and ideas that they were part of the continuing of that tra- chain, and and so therefore you were teaching them traditional arts that they were then going to continue, and here you're doing something that if I were LDS and I were looking at this and I didn't know anything about your background, I would think, oh, that's modern. Mm. Right, it's this notion that that you are able, perhaps because of the youngness of Mormonism, your work isn't plugging in to a natural, hundreds of years old traditional program. How do they react to the idea of oh, I'm making art for an LDS audience, but I'm not, but I don't have the same the same uh, kind of tradition that I that you can plug into. You see, what I mean? you see what I mean by yes, that? Yeah. How do they take what you're doing and see how you fit into it? Or how um, do you explain it?
1: <laughs> um, I guess there... Let, let me, let me wind, uh, rewind for just a little bit. There is a, an aspect of the conversation that happens quite a lot um, amongst those who are not part of a long lineage. Okay. You know, because we do feel the, the loss of that. You know that we don't have, you know, this long chain of calligraphers that have passed down particular skills, and we're the next one in the chain, and we're going to pass it on. You know, um, and so uh, the, a lot of the um, the students from Western backgrounds are, are feeling this, and so it's something that we we talk about quite regularly. Um, and so in. Working in this environment means that we are almost handpicking our lineage. You know, we could say, well, part of my lineage is Albert Dürer and the way that he approaches Hmm. um, thinking about things. Part of my lineage is this anonymous uh, designer of a minbar in Jerusalem. Part of my lineage is uh, this Mughal miniature painter. who addressed materials in a very particular way, um, And so um, that, that kind of lineage thing is something that we feel and we discuss. Um, and when you are in, that, in, the, in the school and part of these conversations, you begin to realize that that's something that even the people who are part of a lineage feel um, they feel the, the weight of, because a lot of those are dying off. You know, and they're not at the height of a tradition. They're at kind of it's um, an extreme decadent end, or yeah. um, things where people are just working off copies of copies of copies, and they're not back to the source. So, what we are all trying to do together, and I think is recognized in my work, is we're trying to get back to the principles yeah. of things and the
0: original vigor of those things. Yes,
1: anyway. but. Um, and that, that's something that's made possible through engaging with directly with the materials, directly with with the principles, um, if, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Yeah. It does make sense. Um, and so because we're all approaching it that way, it doesn't feel um, to each other like we're stepping outside the boundaries because we're all in constant dialogue with mm. each other, with the materials, with this heritage that uh, we have... Kind of trickling down to us so.
0: let's talk about this other piece mm. um y- this is a piece that you've submitted to this year's contest yes and so we don't know exactly whether it's going there i guess they're in the second round of judging at the moment yeah um but they'll be able to see it on the design art society website um this is uh, a work that it, it's it's a diamond and it has and it's all it's on a uh, looks like you've you painted that background.
1: Yeah. So. So tell us,
0: tell us about, and I don't think we got into it as much in the other one. Talk to me about materials, methods, and techniques in this one. Okay. What's it titled first of all?
1: Okay, though? this one's called Umbilicus. Okay. Um, and um, as as a piece, it was trying to talk about connecting back to the source. You know. Um,
0: so that is umbilicus is an umbilical cord. Yes. The same root word. Yes. Okay.
1: Um, and um. Uh, the shapes all come from uh, a description of the Urim and Thummim, which is, um, dis- I think Lucy Max Smith describes as three-cornered diamonds. and uh, So I was looking at these shapes as a way to connect back to the, the source and the divine and all that. So I limited my palette quite extremely um, and so I'm using mostly b- um, black and white kind um, of just trying to go back to something. Where very, do you get your blacks from? Um, in this case, it's a, just a Chinese ink. Okay. Um, I needed something that was waterproof that I could work on top of, um, and the um, uh, the white ink is just a, a technical pen ink, uh, okay. also chosen because of its opacity and how it sits on top of things. Okay. But then um, th- the different pigments and materials that I am using within it. Um, there is a, um, th- there's a bit of gold leaf in there. Um, the, I think the the very top and the very bottom triangles are gold leaf.
0: I see some pigment, some blue or turquoise type pigment, and some yeah. reds as well. There's,
1: well, there's one in there that's really interesting. It's a sparkly black. Um, and this yeah. is a um, a black pigment that has been collected off a beach of the island of Hormuz a friend of mine who collects uh pigments uh, she's a persian miniature painter went to the island of hormuz and it, it's they've they've got hundreds if not thousands of different pigments that can just that are just there right for, there yeah, for the picking yes although i think it's 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 um that's Ooh. it,
0: everybody. Hormuz, that's where we're going for our next field trip. Oh, it
1: would be amazing. It would be so amazing. But there's a particular black there that is a sparkly black. Huh. Um, that Black I thought... is
0: such a hard color to come up with. It gave problems to the old masters and yeah. everyone up until synthetics yeah. were created.
1: Yeah. and Well, this one probably looks the most synthetic on there because it has a sparkle in it. Huh. Um, but it's just a naturally occurring color. Uh, Nature's glitter, I guess. I, I don't know. that I, I found it really interesting because it was this black, but it also had this quality of light hmm. into it. So working with this idea of um, the mysterious and the revealed and the kind of light being reflected and refracted. Um, I've got some bits of lapis lazuli in there with the blue, um, some uh, genuine vermilion, um, which comes from smashing up cinnabar stone. Yeah. Purifying it. Um, Are
0: you? Are you taking? You're not freehand drawing this. No. How are you? How are you laying out your designs?
1: So it's all um, it's all constructed using uh, compasses and a square
0: or a straight edge. So you you are using very traditional, very traditional method. Yeah. And do you do you find that you do the entire thing in a graft way on another piece of paper and then you transfer it? When you're looking at it or do you work kind of when you're doing this kind of work or do you play it? How do you how do you go about coming up with the growth from one pattern to the next and the building up? or How do you lay out the structure?
1: Um, Well, there's some patterns that I know very well and I can just sit down and, and draw. So this was one that I just drew quite directly um, on the paper. Um, I'd done some calculations ahead of time. So I knew that I wouldn't go off the edges in places where I didn't want to go off the edges. Um, and then just sat down and started drawing. Um, I choose the patterns and symmetry groups that I work with, um, based on kind of symbolic associations. So this at its fundamental level is based on the number 12, um, in how the patterns come about. Um, and 12 is a number that has to do with, um, kind of cosmic or celestial governance. You know, we've got the, um, 12 hours of the day, the 12 months of the year, the 12 signs of the Zodiac, you know, and then of course it, we go into Does Islamic
0: those... art have its own 12 yes. pattern base that it works off of. too? Yeah. Yeah. So this, mm.
1: this is, um, a pattern that, um, it It can be found in um uh, both Egypt and Damascus, but then um i started it, it it's a really interesting pattern because it has the these uh, an invisible substructure and then an a visible hmm. kind of manifestation of it it's hard to describe and so I started bringing out the substructure in a way that isn't found anywhere in huh. um in architecture
0: so when you when you're giving this to an l d s audience that's not as in, is not as um, aware of where these things come from. How do you, how do you bring them into it? How do you bring them into the circle of your interpretation?
1: Um, a lot depends on um, whether or not uh, the how do you, the the Islamic aspect is not necessarily right. part of how. I am even addressing the pieces for myself. It just happens right. to be a language that I've learned how to, a visual language that I've learned how to use. Um, and one that has a, a it, it has a lot of applications outside of that context. But um, in talking to an LDS audience, I think we've got a lot of um, interest in the idea of creation and order. Um, we um, you know our creation stories are so richly significant to us. Um, the ideas of uh, using a compass and the square as actual tools instead of abstract uh, symbols is something that I find interesting and I find that um, pe- people that I talk to in the Mormon community see that I'm actually using them become quite interested mm. in h- how I use them, why I use them So.
0: So you're. I, I've noticed just looking at your website, and I've I've known about your work now for a couple of years, that you seem to be fairly productive, even though you're teaching right now. Yeah. Where can people find your art? You're in the UK, but it's yeah. available here too, right?
1: Um, yes. So um, I um, have I have um, some pieces uh, down in Saint George at the Authentique Gallery okay. at the moment. Um, and um, there's also a few pieces at the Written Vision Gallery with Brad okay. Kramer. And if Provo. we
0: go to your website, we can get to either one of those, and we'll also put links there. I, I,
1: yeah, I need to put the links directly okay. to the galleries. Okay. I well, haven't well, updated plug, my website I'm glad in you plugged in. And you're, and <laughs> yes. you,
0: you're, you're here visiting now. You're here for a couple of weeks. Yes. And while you're here, we're going to have this podcast up before you teach a class Ooh, next exciting. week. Yeah. So tell us about the class next week so people can know... And if they miss this one, you do them occasionally. Yes. So tell us what's involved
1: in this. So... yeah, next Thursday, uh, the thirteenth of September,
0: um, we'll have a three-hour session here at Anthony's and Anthony's Fine Art and Salt yes, Lake. Yes, yes. Uh, and so if you go to the Zion Art site, you'll find it there. Or if you go to Lisa along on Facebook, you'll find it.
1: Yep. Um, and so I will do um, a little brief visual presentation um, about some of the uh, symbols, um, how they are, show up in nature and art and architecture and then um, lead the class through an active drawing process where we'll draw some of the patterns. Um, I have selected a theme uh, for this time around. We're going to be looking at a pattern that's found in Westminster Abbey. Um, There's a a, a very interesting design in front of the high altar of Westminster Abbey that's intended to be a pattern representing um, all of creation. that's uh, made of interlinked circles and squares and mm. so it's it's very symbolically interesting but it's also really fun to draw so we'll we'll draw it together
0: Do people bring their own materials and 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 so forth or do you have them
1: Um I have all of the materials but um I do recommend if you have nice compasses that you've inherited from a grandfather bring <laughs> those cuz they'll be way nicer than my plastic
0: ones <laughs> so cool. Well it's been a pleasure to sit down and talk with you about your work. I know we've only scratched the surface, but I'm grateful that you were able to take time out of your vacation, which you don't get much of, to be here and to talk with us for the podcast. Um, thanks again.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: We would like to thank Dr. Lisa DeLong for joining us for this edition of the Zine Art Podcast. For more interviews and in our archives, visit us at zineartsociety.org under the podcast tab. This is Micah Christensen. Thank you for listening.